This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome back to Ausbiz, wherever you are watching in this lockdown country of ours. Great to have your company for the next 60 minutes or so. This program is called The Call. We analyze 10 stocks that you put to us. We put it to an expert panel and we give you much clearer direction on what you should be doing with your money than our premiers are doing with health advice at the moment, or the Prime Minister. And uh, if you like the the doctors of your wealth going forward, joining us today, Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Uh, Henry, good to see you. And Andrew Willem from DP Wealth Advisory. Uh, how are you two handling lockdown, Henry? Um, been there, done that, still have the T-shirt, still in lockdown. So uh, it's something that we're kind of used to and you just have to do it, I guess. A lot of, a lot of Netflix being consumed at the moment, I have to say. Yep. It's, uh, it's dull but necessary. So, yep. yes. Andrew Whelan, up in uh, Toowoomba there. Uh, is the Empire Theatre open or closed? Lockdown? Well, Koshi, we're in God's country, so of course we're open. There's, there's no issues. Um, <laughs> Where, uh, well, Toowoomba, of course, is uh, outside the southeast Queensland bubble. Oh. I was just saying to uh, Henry before, I'm literally one street from a lockdown from where I live. So I'm wow. sort of peering over saying, hi, <laughs> all good here. Because <laughs> there's like a, there's an invisible barrier. You know, yeah, the yeah. virus sort of gets there and then there's no problems. Like, yep. you know, it, it's And the virus fine. knows that. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yep. What exactly. could go wrong? Yep. What you go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to uh, put you in the right direction with a number of stocks today, uh, courtesy of Henry and Andrew. But I always choose the stock of the day that um, that is in the news. Um, and Telstra certainly is in the news this morning, uh, selling its 49% stake in its mobile tower business for just shy of $3 billion. Yes, that's how much those mobile towers are worth and set to return half the proceeds to shareholders. A consortium of three funds will take up the stake in Infraco Towers, with the deal valuing the entire business at about $6 billion. And uh, Telstra returning that to shareholders. Uh, Henry Jennings, uh, Telstra has been a bit of a favourite of many of the panellists here on the call for about the last three months or so. Now we know why. What do you, what do you think of the deal and also deals to share price, which has shot up? Yeah, thanks, David. I, I guess it's kind of ironic, really, that the Future Fund is part of the consortium that's buying the towers when the Future Fund was actually seeded by the sale of the Telstra shares in the first place. So there's a certain mm. sort of circularity, if that's the right word to this. 
I guess as far as Telstra goes, I've been quite keen on Telstra for a while. I created a six-stock, really easy basket for people that are saving for a house deposit to uh, to look at, and Telstra was part of that deposit mm. basket, and it has gone pretty well since I recommended it around $3.30, and there's a lot of things to like about Telstra, and I guess Andy Penn is coming to the pointy end of his plan to transform Telstra. I think it's called T22, but maybe it's T23 during because of COVID. But certainly, this has been a long-term plan to separate the business. And part of that plan was to sell off these towers, which I think has been a pretty good move for Telstra. And it certainly will help uh, in terms of capital management for them and rewarding shareholders. So uh, I don't mind this deal. I don't mind Telstra. It's boring. It's dull. It yields 4.2% fully franked. Uh, with potentially more now because of this deal that they have done. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to like about dull businesses sometimes, uh, even, you know, when all the more sexy businesses are going well. Telstra has been uh, a steady achiever, shall we say, and maybe Andy Pence somewhat on the right track. Now, and this, you know, he did the deal a little bit before the market had anticipated as well, which is another positive. And I think there's more to come as we uh, go forward, and of course as 5G takes a bit more of a hold in the community. Okay, so you like Telstra at these prices? Um, I like them more at $3.30, but at three seventy-five yeah. or wherever they are now, uh, I think, you know, they've, they've still got $4 written all over them, to be honest, David. So I think they're still a, a buy, but not quite as much enthusiasm right. as uh, lower prices. But I think even at these levels, they will continue to go higher with the yield, the attraction, 5G, yeah. the attraction. Because they've got now, more to uh, sell off too, haven't they? They have. They have. They've got other things to, to sell off. And, and, and they've, got, they've made some canny investments in some of the health tech space as well, mm. which has served them well. And I know Andy Penn is sort of seen as a bit daggy uh, by some, but sometimes uh, dull and boring and, and the tortoise can beat the hare at the end of the day. So I still mm. like Telstra. Yes, it's a okay. buy from me. Uh, Andrew, what about you? A good mate of mine once described Telstra as tech and a cardi. Um, I think that was me. Correct. Correct. That's, that's oh, why I God. referenced it. That's why I referenced it for my friend above me here. So uh, no, it's uh, and and Henry as usual is bang on. Um, and picking it up at three thirty was was uh, was great buying. Um, I think it's a buy here as well. That uh, structural separation that they've got of the business, we're starting to see the fruits of that uh, and that buyback uh, likely to be on market. That seems to be the view at the moment, $1.4 billion on market buyback. That'll probably happen sometime uh, next financial year. And that's around 3% of the shares that will be bought back. So obviously that's a positive for earnings per share. Probably the only thing I'd be mindful of if Telstra is that special dividend is in there because that NBN money continues to help fund part of the dividend. So um, if for whatever reason they suddenly had some growth aspirations, whereas Telstra at the moment is the, the levers they're pulling is more around cost control, that T22 and obviously 5G that Henry just referenced before. But parking that as an, as an aside, um, I'm still happy to buy it. I know consensus is about 380, so we're getting pretty close to that. But there's still plenty of more value that can be unlocked in this business and supported by that strong, uh, fully frank dividend along the way. Okay. All right. Good report there on Telstra. Let's get into the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And Howard wants a view on Yankol. <gasps> the coal word. 
Um, it is a <laughs> which is spooking markets a lot these days. Uh, obviously, a coal miner operates five miners, managing five across New South Wales, Queensland, and WA. Um, Australia's biggest pure play coal miner. Um, it uh, has a Chinese controlling uh, controlling shareholder. Um, Andrew, what do you think of Yang Coal? Yeah, you're right. 62% of the shares are owned by a Chinese government entity, as I understand it. So that immediately puts it on the amber flashing light, not necessarily because the Chinese are involved, but anyone that has a 62% major shareholder. You may remember we've recently talked about Civic and Hon yeah. Chief having such a high holding that really sort of takes away the liquidity piece. So that's certainly something that you need to have a look at. Um, in fact, the top 25 uh, shareholders control 91% of this business. So it is pretty thinly traded. Um, from an underlying business point of view, despite the best efforts of COVID, uh, still were able to produce about 38 million tonnes of coal last year and are guiding a little bit higher uh, over the, the next 12 months at a pretty good cost as well. We've been able to reduce costs down to about $59 a tonne. Uh, and if you have a look at the uh, the spot price for coal at the moment, it's sort of mm. uh, in that $120 mark and rising. Yep. So they, if you look at the company announcements, they sort of are uh, saying it's analogous to 2016 and sort of 2016-17 was pretty strong for them. Share price uh, has been pretty ordinary over the last three years, down about 20% per annum. And because it's so thinly traded and tightly held, no brokers follow us and no one can give us some guidance there. I know that you started off the segment by saying coal and all that sort of stuff. I do think there's some genuine ESG concerns here. Yep. Um, so from my point of view, it's a uh, it's a hold longer term. But if you're a trader, you know, you try to take advantage of that uh, spike in the uh, in the coal price and given the control that they've had on costs, it's probably a short term buy. But me as a trader, but me personally, ESG would uh, trump that. OK, um, uh, Henry, coal price has risen enormously um, despite what people say there is demand for coal unlikely to ever be a new coal mine <laughs> given approval particularly here in Australia going forward uh, and the likes of uh, what have we got Whitehaven and New Hope um, ESG sort of concerns dampen enthusiasm for the share price but they're going well they're making heaps of dough um, yeah, they are. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? The ESG concerns clearly don't concern the Chinese and the majority owners of this company, um, leaving only about eight or nine percent free float. So uh, I don't think it's really a company that should be affected by ESG concerns from from investors, because there are really not very many investors out there that even look at this one, unfortunately. Uh, for me, it's a buy only because of the coal price has increased such a lot. And you look at the uh, the performance of Whitehaven and New Hope, of course, that uh, that has been pretty good. And Yankol has just been floundering around, and it ha has got the problems of liquidity, which does mean that when it goes, it goes big time because it doesn't take much to get things rocking and rolling uh, because of that liquidity issue. So it is a buy from me. Uh, I have to say, you know, when you get uh, the likes of Matt Canavan talking about coal-powered uh, power stations again and the Adani mine being approved in Australia, um, we're still a long way away from becoming uh, undependent or completely yeah. independent of coal. Coal's going to be around 
for a while, if not in Australia, but certainly in India and China. So it is a part of the energy mix. The cleaner we can make it, the better, obviously. But I think this one is probably at these kind of deflated levels with a bit of tax loss selling, I suspect, uh, from those few people that own this one. It, it looks as if it's bottom for me, and I would put it in the buy category. But it is very illiquid, so just be careful because it does tend to spike and run on a few shares and then reverse all engines and comes all the way back down again. So you might need to be a little bit uh, fleet of foot in the Ankol. Okay. All right. Um, thank you for that, Howard. Appreciate the suggestion. Uh, Henry Miles wants a view on uh, Chalice Mining, involved in uh, uh, mineral exploration, has the Pyramid Hill project, uh, is it the Julemar Nickel Copper uh, project as well, um, mining stock. What do you think of Chalice? Uh, Chalice has been an absolute winner, Miles. It has been one of the massive success stories, I guess, of the last year or so, and it has really gone uh, bananas. And we've even had another positive announcement out this morning uh, with a lookalike uh, deposit that they're working with. With VMS is the code there, and they are sort of close by. And they are moving into that with a 70% stake if they spend, I think it's around four or five million over the next uh, four years to get 70% of that joint venture. So there's clearly a lot of interest in this Julimar prospect. It's got palladium in it as well, uh, which has been one of the key drivers of this one. So it's got a lot of sexy minerals and it does look as if it's onto something pretty big. I'd be a buyer still of Chalice, I have to say, even at these levels, even with a two and a half billion dollar market cap. Uh, the market does like this one and it has not fallen out of love yet and i think the results that we've seen from the wow. lookalike today show that there is a potential uh you know when you go for the neurology it's called yeah. uh, when something is you know when something is near something else in mining terms so uh, that does look quite promising so i'd be a buyer of this one at the moment even at these lofty levels uh, take take a look at uh, if we go back to the 12 month um uh, share chart a year ago it was 91 cents and now yeah. 737 when you when yeah. you said it's had a good year flame and <laughs> hell it's had, it's had a fantastic year has it God, it, it, it has and, uh, and i've got to say i mean this brings us on to uh, a little topic that's close to our hearts here at marcus today um in the one stock portfolio and we have a variety of members have been writing in about the one stock portfolio and we have a member that uh, has been long of a stock called Lion Town Resources talking of having good years LTR is the code there and he has been long for some time and he's turned $150,000 into well they're up 10% today so about 16 and a half million dollars oh my goodness and, uh, and one of the reasons that Lion Town is is running is is predicated really on the back of the chalice as well because they, there is a small linkage there and some commonality so they both kind of move in tandem so uh, that that's what I would call a pretty good year and uh, chalice and lion town if you put up the chart of lion town you'll see that they've had a pretty good time as well wow okay uh, Andrew yeah. what do you what do you think of chalice so Henry's obviously been looking at my notes because I thought well, he hasn't mentioned uh, Lion Town yet. I'll uh, I'll sneak that one in. But um, uh-huh. yeah, the chair Tim Goida owns ten uh, percent of Chalice, and he's also the chair also of Lion Town and another one that's involved in uranium called Devex. 
So, uh, you know, one of the things we look at, if you remember Koshy's, I'm looking yeah. at sort of insider buying or how many shares does management and the board hold. So when I saw that, I went, well, that's a, that's a tick in itself. Uh, consensus is around eight bucks and they're trading even today. You know, they're up a bit, but they're at about 7.30, 7.40. So trading well below consensus, 120 million in the bank, uh, cash, no debt. Uh, certainly all the positive green metals uh, talk that we were just uh, uh, speaking about before. So for me, it's also buying. Okay. All right. I'm just looking at Lion Town and brought, brought up the, the chart here. Um, well, it's had a, had a huge uh, run as well from from about 10 cents through to 86 cents. So, uh, yeah, um, both of them done well. And that... Uh, uh, that chairman across both of them uh, would have done nicely as well. All right, uh, so you're on to a, a bit of a winner there, um, uh, uh, Miles, and thank you for sending that in. Um, Andrew Kyle wants a view on Archer Materials. They're in um, sort of in, in building uh, uh, chip biosensors, uh, from what I could understand, um, used in... Uh, electronics, medicine, and energy. South Australian company Koshi. So yeah. you know you'd be you'd be Must all be over good. that immediately. If, all over that immediately, of course. I might defer to my friend on this one simply <laughs> because he he was referencing one stock, and uh, I might let Henry run with it from here. Okay, Henry. Oh, you're very kind, Andrew. Uh, we we had a. Following on from our Liontown man that had the, the one-stop portfolio, we had a bit of a focus on that and we decided uh, within the team to pick our one stock that you could hold for five to ten years and that it would be life-changing. Now, I picked Archer Materials, AXE, which is the subject of our discussion. Uh, the variety of reasons, I guess, most, most of which are to do with the market capitalization and the opportunity ahead of it. This is a a sexy sector at the moment in terms of artificial intelligence, semiconductor chips. Now, I don't profess to understand the technology and the background behind all the quantum computing, the AI and the semiconductor stuff that these guys are into. But this stock was a muddled stock. It had uh, mining leases on the Air Peninsula and it had this quantum computing side of things. And the market was a little bit confused. Now, recently they've sold off their Air Peninsula leases. So now it is purely and utterly focused on sexy things like quantum computing and AI. I think Justin Trudeau had a very good definition of quantum computing, which I can't remember, but he seemed to get his head around the whole thing. The attraction is, I guess, that it's a $200 million market capitalization company in a massive, massive sphere of technology, which could be game-changing if it gets it right. And it goes from a $200 million dollar company to a billion in a heartbeat if it makes significant progress and commercialization of this technology they're pushing. So for me, this is potentially one of those lock it away for five years, uh, lock it away for 10 years even. But we know that AI is coming. We know that quantum computing is coming. I had many emails after I picked this stock as my one stock uh, explaining why it would take forever and AI the quantum computing side was such a long way off but this was a stock for five to ten years which could change your life i recommended it at 75 cents it's now 92 so it's up around 22 odd percent since i recommended it. that's not life-changing by any stretch of the imagination because this is one that could be a multi-bagger so it is, it is my stock 
for five to ten years and as I say the criteria being that it was a small enough cap with a big enough opportunity to be a multi-bagger. There's no point in having a ten billion dollar company with a with a multi-opportunity because that's already priced in to some extent. Uh, so a two hundred million dollar company fitted my bill anyway. So I was okay. happy to be long this one. Okay. All right. A yes on Archer. Um, what do you think, Andrew? So, Koshi, we covered this off back in August last year, yep. and it's actually doubled since then. So the market is obviously, as Henry is saying, liking the fact that it's actually figured out that it's actually involved in quantum computing and not sort of this hodgepodge that it was previously. Uh, again, I certainly, even though I'm the family IT nerd, I don't profess to understand quantum computing, but uh, similar to Henry, that at the end of the day, if they can get it right, it's going to be one of those rocket stocks, dare I mention that. So uh, I'm certainly happy to take a speculative buy on this one as well. Okay. It's actually, I, I like, like the theme, Henry. We should, we should do a, um, we should do a special <laughs> on the call on stocks of a lifetime, a lifetime stock. Yeah. That's, that's fair. That really makes you think, doesn't it? Well, it, it does. You know, we're all fiddling around with, you know, trying to beat the index, etc. But these are these are life changing. Uh, stocks that you get hold of and I guess one of the the keys to it certainly that we found especially from our Lion Town guy is to find a stock that you you like find a stock in the right sector with the right theme and then really get to know the management of that company get to meet them talk about it and I've done a bunch of podcasts over the last months or so um, talking to uh, to fund managers and the one thing that always comes across is that they go out and they meet management, they talk to management. These guys take 500 meetings a year, some of these fund managers. And I think that's the most important thing. We can, we can you know, look at charts till our heart's content, but this is not gonna give you the groundbreaking, the game changer, the lotto-like yeah. winning performance of a, of a Lion Town or a Chalice or, you know, I'm not saying that AS, AXE is gonna be the one, it could be, but um, it's, um, it, it's an interesting theme and uh, we, we hark on about diversification a lot in this business um, and you know that sometimes that's diversification to mediocrity as opposed to uh, one stock, one yep. conviction, one life-changing yep. uh, event. Yep. And that's what you get if you subscribe to Marcus today as well with ideas like that. I have to be clear, David, we didn't recommend Lion Town to this gentleman. He, he found this all by himself. Oh, yeah, no, so, I mean the we... stocks to change your life. That's yeah, yeah, good yeah, teams. Yeah. Uh, really uh, good yeah, teams. Yeah. All right, um, uh, Andrew, uh, let's go from quantum computing to uh, marketing materials and, uh, and printing. Uh, Ranjit wants a view on uh, IVE Group, IVE Group. Uh, I'd appreciate, he says, if you can get the advisor's opinion on the company. Uh, it's in um, uh, creating, designing, printing, printed material. Uh, uh, they do publishing for, uh, for other major corporates, custom publishing like Westpac. And, uh, they do a lot of the printing in the magazines that Westpac's in their clients. And, and L'Oreal, they just um, uh, re-signed those tours, their their bigger clients. Um, they've got a bit of cash in the bank. Um, Andrew, what do you think of IBE? 
Yes, trying to get my head around it uh, because reading the description, I'm going, what, so what do they actually do at the end of the day? Uh, but yeah. creative design, if I had to sort of sum it up in yeah. a sentence, it's creative design and L'Oreal is a client. And as you just said, Westpac's probably their marquee yeah. one. It does, just, does cu basically custom publishing and signage and all the marketing material, don't they? Yep, and having Westpac as a client, you know, just re-signed them for five years, 20 million a year isn't exactly a terrible outcome for them. Uh, if you have a look at their uh, earnings profile, it's a PE of seven. So if you're remembering, you know, market is what, 13, 14 times, whatever it is at the moment, you know, you, you're getting it quite cheap. And that return on equity at 19 times, oh, sorry, 19%. So from a return on equity point of view, that's, that's pretty solid as well. It's certainly one of the measures that we use here. Trading well below consensus. Consensus on it is about a dollar eighty, and they're sitting at about a dollar forty-five at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, seems to tick all the boxes. I guess the thing that concerns me, and it's great that you've got that chart up right now. If you and I wish I had a pointer, you know, get the little sort of laser pointer. I'm sort of looking at that bit where it just literally fell off a cliff in in COVID. Yeah. You know, so it got to two fifty. COVID came along. That's forty-four cents there. That little dip down the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it just shows you that if the market is concerned about discretionary spending, as it should have been in the middle of a one in a hundred year health emergency, the big stick is going to be well and truly out. So it uh, looks, looks okay. Um, I'm, I'm probably a hold simply because I don't like this style of business. But in the context of volatility, um, if you're wanting to play the volatility, it's one for you, but not one for me. But certainly the underlying fundamentals seem okay. Yep. Henry? Um, yeah, uh, we've gone from life-changing and game-changing <laughs> stocks to... Old, uh, old school. <laughs> old school. Th th these guys bought uh, the old Salmat catalogue delivery business where right. people walk around the streets. Uh, I, I used to do that. I'd signed up my son for pocket money to walk around the streets and deliver catalogues. And guess who actually delivered the catalogues? Uh, I, th I, think it, I, I think it's fair to say the dog and I got a little bit more exercise with our catalogue deliveries for, uh, for Salmat during that period of time. Yeah, that is parenting. That is pretty much a standard operating procedure for parenting. Um, I, you, Andrew's right in all he says about this one, but it's just not that exciting. Catalogue delivery, printing of specialist stuff, it really doesn't um, tick too many of my boxes. It may well be cheap. It may well be uh, a bit of a COVID play, I guess, on, on a recovery. But, uh, you know, it just, it's a sideways, dull, not really that exciting. So if you've got it, you hold it. It's got not a bad dividend. It's not expensive. It's got some cash. It's got a 90 to $100 million in debt as well for a $200 million company, but that's covered by the cash. Um, it is doing a buyback, which is obviously helping the market. But uh, I think, you know, if you, if you go back and look at uh, history, part of that downgrade back in 2019 was to do with that Salmat purchase, yeah. uh, which was always a struggling kind of business. And uh, it's, it's done better than they have with, uh, with managing that business. But yeah, it's, it's a sideways hold at best. I, I couldn't get very excited about that okay. one. All right. Sideways hold. Um, what about Kogan? Henry, does that tick any boxes for you? The big on online retailer, you could say, one of the pioneers of online retailing. Um, Russell and Kogan, of course, one of the great entrepreneurs, has sort of made a fair bit of money out of this himself at various times. 
Well, that, that's the whole point of being an entrepreneur, isn't yep. it? There'd be no other reason. Um, he's not doing it for the uh, for the social graces involved. I think at the end of the day, you know, Kogan's had a big uh, flip up on the back of the recent lockdowns we've seen, and everyone piled back into the the lockdown trades that were so successful back uh, last year, I guess, with the likes of Kogan, Temple and Webster, uh, the Nick Scarleys, all those kind of cocooning, buying stuff, sitting at home. I think the world has changed, though, apart from the fact that uh, we are handling the uh, lockdowns far better. They seem to be short, sharp and manageable. Our contact tracing has been better. And I think people, when they come out of the lockdowns, are keen to buy experiences and, and go out and enjoy themselves. So Kogan's been on a bit of a slippery slide. There's been some inflationary pressures in the supply chain. They did seem to get a bit chocked full of all the wrong stuff at all the wrong times. And uh, we are seeing some of those supply chain issues, I suspect, continuing. They took a big tumble after they owned up to that. I don't think they're out of the woods yet. I don't think that has been alleviated to any of the extent. I'd be selling into strength in this one. It's certainly not one that I would be looking to add unless it got back towards 10 bucks. I think that was a too easy, too kind of uh, whitewashing of the, the, the COVID trade. Okay, let's just yeah. buy the ones that we bought last time. Um, but I think, you know, we, we moved on with our experience in COVID and we're not so keen to, you know, how many plasma TVs can you have and how many emails do I get every day because I bought something from Kogan telling me to buy something else from Kogan. And they, they don't always have the best reputation for quality, I must admit. Okay. Um, I, I, looked the, I looked the other day and they were trying to flog me a, a Thermomix lookalike for 80 bucks, which seemed, <laughs> seemed quite cheap. Compared to the Thermomix cult. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, two things. The second thing I'm surprised about out of that was why you would be interested in the Thermomix. I wouldn't th are you Are you a bit of a cook? Bit of, uh, have you got a culinary I, bent to you, so to speak? It is one of my bents, David, I have to oh. say. I do have a bent towards oh. the culinary. I do cook most nights. Um, oh, have I'm you got not, a signature uh, dish? Um, not really. I, I, oh. I stick, stick to the basics, but I do enjoy cooking um, Italian food, I have to say. Oh, okay. Being a bit of a, an, an Italy fan, I yeah. do like cooking Italian food uh, and those sorts of things, mm. not just pizza or, or right. spaghetti, but no, um, but other things, as, other things as well. But uh, okay. yeah, I do like a bit of cooking, I must admit. But sure. yeah, the Thermomix thing amused me because a friend of mine <laughs> bought one recently. And I looked at this, and you pay a fortune for it. Now they're two and a half grand. You got to join the cult. And I looked at this thing from Kogan, and it it sort of professed to be a, a sort of a lookalike, but for about eighty bucks. Eighty thought, yeah, bucks. Right. Blimey. How's that going to work out? It's going to explode yeah. on you or something. Uh, Andrew, before we get on to Kogan, are you a bit of a cook as well? Signature dish. <laughs> 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 no, I. We have a Thermomix at the Violand household, and uh, I too am more the, the cook, with due respect to Mrs W, hard-working accountant, living her best 30 June life today. Hello, Sarah. Not that you'd be paying attention to this, because <laughs> you were at work at Sparrow this morning. Uh, but yes, uh, big Thermo fans in our oh, house as well. Okay. All right. What do you think of Kogan? Uh, I'm with Henry. Um, certainly, I'd be a seller into this. Consensus is 10.60. Where are they at the moment? About 12 bucks. It was a lazy trade. Um, people buying it with due respect. So, um, I mean, Russellin, as we said before, uh, God love him, uh, has sold down a quarter of his holding uh, of late. You know, and again, if I'm using the test, if 
is management and the board align with your values? Well, you know, if you're selling down a quarter of your holding in 12, 18 months, not necessarily sending that best signal. So uh, I can think of lots of reasons not to be here. So it is a sell. All right, let's just recap the uh, first five stocks at our stock of the day. Uh, Telstra, a yes from both um, Henry and Andrew. Uh, Yankol, a hold from uh, Andrew, a buy from Henry. Chalos Mining, a buy from both. Archer Materials, a buy from both. Uh, IBE Group, a hold, a sideways hold, as Henry puts it, and uh, Kogan, a sell although uh, from both, although Henry would start to get interested around $10. Uh, Here at the call, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NabTrade. Any stocks that gets two thumbs up from our expert panel uh, goes into the calls portfolio as Telstra, Chalots Mining and Archer Materials have um, from Henry and Andrew. If those stocks come up again sometime in the future, even if it's in front of a different expert panel and don't get unanimous approval, they go out. Um, so how's the fantasy portfolio tracking? Up about half a percent for the week, 1.3% for the month and 34.5% since the 1st of July 2020. And as we come to the end of this financial year, the big reveal tomorrow find out how the portfolio performed against the broader index, plus what we earned in dividends and a breakdown of the top sector performance, how we're tracking against the, uh, against the broader index, uh, which sectors are doing well, which ones have underperformed, the dividends we've reinvested. So tune in for a, a deeper analysis on the call tomorrow as we wrap up the first year of the call's portfolio. Uh, some of the stocks recently added to the fantasy portfolio, Samfire Resources, Bank of Queensland, the iShares Government Inflation ETF and the Magellan Global Fund. Some of the stocks are removed, Oz Minerals, Integral Diagnostics and Whisper. You can check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Head to ozbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Quick programming note this afternoon. We'll be joined by the Chief Investment Officer of Wilson Asset Management, Jesse Hamilton. Uh, it comes as Wham Global merges with Templeton Global Growth Fund in a deal to be completed at the end of Q3 this year. What it means for investors and uh, just. Jesse will be on at 1 p.m. just after 1 p.m. Eastern, and uh, a bit of a preemptive strike on this because our sixth stop to take a look at today comes from Ron, who actually wants a view on uh, on Wham Global, uh, the listed investment company that is going to merge with uh, Templeton. Henry, what do you think of the merger and uh, and Wham Global? Um, well, hi, Ron. Glad you asked the question. <laughs> um, I guess this, this is an interesting move. And of course, this week we've seen, or well, late last week, of course, we had the new float joining the market war, mm. which is Wilson Asset Management's uh, strategic fund. And that, sort of this is an activist fund that is taking positions in undervalued LICs that are trading at a big discount to their NTA and TGG Templeton Global Growth was one of these stocks that was actually trading at a big discount to its NTA. That discount has closed up and Wilson Asset Management did take a position in this 
and have used this as a stepping stone, if you like, into uh, creating this bigger uh, LIC with merging the two companies. Now, Jeff Wilson runs a very good operation and he's very good at shareholder communication. He's very mm. active and he's also very good at getting his LICs to trade at a premium. If you look at uh, Wham, which is the, I guess, the the headline stock that trades at around a 13% premium to its NTA. So Jeff's out there trying to buy dollars worth of assets for 80 cents, whereas investors are quite happy to pay a dollar 13 for assets that are worth a dollar. And the reason why they seem to be happy to pay that for Wham, for instance, is because he has a good track record of passing on big dividends and franking credits, which makes a big difference to the mm. sort of investors that buy these things. The the merger between these two will create a much bigger entity with synergies and cost benefits etc and will instantly remove that discount to NTA that we saw with TGG uh, because they will be taking it over basically at a premium to NTA so good news and, and Jeff I guess has fired a warning shot across the bowels of uh, many LIC managers out there that have their, um, their listed entity trading at a discount to the NTA as um, you know, guys, you're on warning that if you don't try and close up that discount by whatever means you can, uh, we're out. We're out there. Jeff raised mm. around 225 million for that fund. Uh, war, great code, and um, we could bring back uh, Edward Isaacs with uh, what is it good for? But it obviously is good for uh, shaking up the LIC uh, sector. Mm. That's for sure. So um, I think this merger is, is a good merger for both because. It actually creates a, a, a much bigger entity, and uh, it's one of the few LICs, I guess, around that does look at global growth. I'm sure they will tell the Templeton guys that everything will remain the same and don't worry about any job losses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know that it won't. In six months' time, there will be uh, a lot more Wilson's asset management people there right. than Templeton, I would expect. So, uh, given that, you would imagine that the, this this thing trades at a four and a half percent discount to NTA. And they would like that, obviously, to trade in line with the other Wilson licks right. at a premium to NTA. So that's the the goal, I guess, is to go from a 4.5% discount to a 10% premium, say, as uh, they have that scale and synergies benefits to come through of taking over Templeton. So, you know, I think it's a buy on that basis because it's a bit of a thorn in it's a bit of, it would be a bit annoying for Jeff for all his funds to be trading at a premium and this one to be trading at yep. a discount. You think, you know what, that just niggles me every night when I go to bed. Why don't we <laughs> why don't we do something about that, guys? Yep. We need to do something. And this is this is what that something is. Yep. And he's very good at as you say, his investor communication. Uh, Andrew, what it's do you think key. of Wayne Global? Yeah, it'll be a $900 million LIC post the merger with Templeton. So to Henry's point, uh, it is the only WAM vehicle that is trading at a discount to NTA, so uh, which is super unusual for Jeff and his crew. Um, I mean, Henry and I worked at Macquarie together at the time that WAM floated back in 98, I think it was Henry. And uh, yeah. he's done an amazing job over yeah. many years building this stable. Um, I'll play the ETF card because you'd be surprised if I didn't. If you look at the performance of WGB, and I should say before I talk about um, the, the an ETF comparison, the manager, Katrina Burns, she's super switched on Katrina. She's worked previously at Hunter Hall and also at Arley. 
So if you've got anyone who's going to close that discount, she's the person and her team. But if you look at the performance of Wham Global over the last three years, it's up 9% per annum uh, relative to the index, the Morgan Stanley Capital Index, the MISCI, which is up 13% over that same period of time. So there's been a pretty marked underperformance. And the other thing, if we're talking about LICs, Jeff and team are nice people, but they're not doing it because they're feeling super benevolent. They're doing it because they're trying to earn a couple of dollars, as they should. But if you look at the fees, the fees on this is 125 basis points plus a performance fee, which obviously isn't payable at the moment. But 125 basis point fee, if I was to compare that to, say, I don't know, Vanguard VGAD, uh, which is sort of one of the larger index MISCI buyers, they are, where is it, 21 basis points. Right. So 125 basis points relative to 21, and that performance hasn't been there as yet. But as Henry's saying, if they can close that gap by virtue of this merger, then suddenly you've got a 15% uplift and you'd happily pay them 125 basis points. Right. So, so to me, I'd, I'd, I'd be backing... What are you smiling about, my friend? Um, well, <laughs> I, I'm just... Be, I just had a thought about Jeff's codes because he's got war, what is it good for? And he's got wham, so we can have wake me up before you go go. <laughs> before you go to war. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Good afternoon. Good right, afternoon. <laughs> all right, so uh, what's the answer, Andrew? Yes or no? It's a buy. It's a buy on the basis that the, the gap will close. Okay, all right. And uh, Jeff is also one of the great characters of. Uh, of the markets as well. All right, um, Andrew, what about the Vanguard Australian Share Index? Uh, Vic wants to know that. Vic says, I've just recently benchmarked my portfolio performance against Vanguard. I was surprised its performance was much better than mine that I selected. I'm thinking to just purchase uh, the Vanguard ETF to cover all the domestic stocks and go fishing and gardening. I'd be better off doing this and, and would be less stressful. Let me know what your assessment is. Thanks, Vic. Great question. Next. Um, <laughs> no, if, we, uh, if, we, if we have a look, and, and Vic's right, um, there's a, a group called Standard & Poor's. They put out a report called the Spiva Report. Spiva Report shows that over the last 12 months, that 60% of active managers, now let me make sure I get this right, 55% of active managers over the last 12 months failed to meet, uh, failed to beat the index. In other words, 45% did, which is great, but unusual times. Let's, let's stretch that timeline out. Let's go 15 years. I think 15 years is not a bad little comparison. We then go 15 years out that number increases to 86% of active managers fail to beat the index. In other words, only 14% do. So when Vic's having a look at his portfolio, with due respect, Vic, you said it, um, there's an 86% chance that VAS will do a better job than your portfolio. And one of the reasons being is that VAS is buying 300 companies, whereas I'm unsure as to Vic's portfolio, but let's say he's got 20, just to pick a number. So, you know, with due respect, why didn't you buy the other 280? And then did you, when you were doing your buying, did you get your weightings right? So there's certainly lots of evidence to suggest that buying VAS is going to give you a better outcome. Vic also asked, are there other ones to think yeah. about as well? There is. Uh, you've got STW, which is the State Street product, IOZ, which is the BlackRock product, A200 from BetaShares. And it's actually the cheapest out of the ones. Remembering that it follows a slightly different benchmark. 
whereas VAS does as well. VAS follows the 300, whereas the other two, do, I just mentioned STW and IOZ, follow the 200. Um, I'm quite relaxed buying VAS. If you look at the performance of VAS over the last five years, it is uh, returning about 11.7% per annum. Uh, if you compare that to the benchmark, the benchmark, the ASX 200, it's returned about 11.4% per annum. So you're getting about 0.3% per annum better returns. Mm. And the fee, you're looking at uh, 10 basis points as a fee, oh, so, so 0.1 really of a percent. Wow. So if you're looking for a, dare I say, it's set and forget strategy, I want to buy a portfolio of Australian shares, I don't want to know whether BHP is better than Rio, better than CSL, I just want to buy a basket of Australian shares, it's pretty hard to sort of beat mm. this approach. But remembering, Koshi, that like I said last year, 45% of active managers actually beat the index. So there will be yep. pockets of time when the market's super volatile, that being active is okay, longer term though, VAS is the go. Okay. Um, Henry? Um, well, as everyone knows, Andrew is the ETF guru, so I, I won't argue with him. I guess at the end of the day, if you're going to buy a, a product that is uh, um, buying the market, it is the market. So to try and benchmark yourself against the market, against something that is the market, then it's a bit kind of self-defeating to some extent. You, you're buying a stake in 300 stocks, you are buying the ASX 300, you're buying that yep. performance. Um, thinking that you can beat that performance by your own stock selection of 10 or 20 stocks or however many it is, uh, would put you in the uh, in the ha hallowed ranks of good fund managers. But that's not to say that you can't do it, it's just to say that uh, it may not be worth your while and golf uh, fishing and sailing or whatever your yeah. lifestyle is probably, um, you know, that may not be for you. You may not want to sit in front of a screen and try and pick a lion town or an axe or whatever. Um, so it, it's it's a good product, but it is the market. So it will just perform as the market does. And if the market goes down 20%, you will be down 20%. There's no, there's no hedging in there. There's no puts. There's no anything yeah. sexy in it. It is the market. You're buying the market. So if you if you swap your 20-stop portfolio for a market, then you will perform just like the market. Okay. That's what it will do. All right. Okay. So is that a yes from you? Um, well, would I buy the ASX two, uh, 300 up yeah. here? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I, I, I'm, I would be a hold up here. I'm not a okay. buyer up here. We're, all, we're right. all time highs. And yep. I think there's still risks out there that we're ignoring. Okay, good point. All right, Henry James wants a view on Yoji, the um, uh, logistics uh, platform that's um, assess business in um, land, sea, air, freight uh, logistics. Just recently yep. done a deal with a big uh, enterprise customer that gave a trading update the other day, which will get it into 18 additional countries across APAC. Um, am I allowed to use the prop here, David? Yep, you certainly can. Because I, I, I do have a prop here. Um, oh, this is a beanie that I bought, yep. okay? It's a, it's a special beanie because it came from the US. And, and I especially wanted this beanie. Don't ask me why, but I did. So anyway, I bought it in the US and I tracked, as you can, this package's progress across the US. Right. And it's fair to say this beanie is travelled and will travel way more than I will ever do in the next two or three years. It has been, in the words of Lonnie Donegan, I've been everywhere, man. This beanie has been everywhere. And it highlighted to me the complicated logistics chains that we have built into our, into our global trade. 
And Yoji is one of the guys that is trying to unravel that logistics chain and make it more simple. Uh, the same, I guess, to some extent with WiseTech has been so sophisticated with this and so good at this. So Yoji recently had a, it's been kind of, it, it had a big, big run some years ago when GetSwift, some of you will remember GetSwift, captured yep. the world's imagination because they came out with some interesting announcements about how they were going to basically ship every single Amazon package around the world and they were the only ones that were going to do it. As it turned out, they were probably responsible for one or two packages rather than all of them and they got themselves into a lot of trouble. And Yoji kind of, well, it went well on the back of that, but then it all fell into a bit of a kind of credibility funk. They've recently signed an expansion plan into 18 new APAC countries and the, the business has been doing pretty well in terms of creating this uh, logistics software as a service kind of business and, the, and this logistics business. So I don't mind it. I, I'm a bit loath to buy it after this big spike because, you know, we do tend to see these sort of small stocks driven by news. But uh, if it comes back to you know, below 18 cents, which is not that far off, to be honest, um, it's probably not a bad thing to buy. And, and the fact that my beanie highlights how complicated <laughs> world trade has got. And, right. you know, what with tariffs, what with the supply chains, what with ships and containers being in the wrong place at the wrong time. These guys could be emerging from that mm. kind of funk that we okay. saw from Get Swift. So it's certainly a tentative buy. I'd look at the charts and wait maybe for a little bit of uh, patience to see it dribble back maybe to 17, 18 cents. But I think this one has a lot of potential going forward, if only to get my beanie to me quicker. Okay. So a tentative buy is a buy. So, Andrew... Yeah, let's, let's, let's have it as a buy. Go on. Okay. Because Andrew won't agree yeah, anyway. <laughs> Come on. It's a buy. There you go. Oh, there you go. The, the reason I was so insistent, it's already in the calls portfolio. So I needed, needed a definite decision. Well, you know well, why? <clears throat> you know why, Koshi? Because we spoke about it in April at 16 yep. cents. Yep. So um, as I'm quietly choking here, uh, yes, it's still a buy. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, Ed wants a view, uh, Andrew, on Vonix. Um, Ed says, at the time of writing, it's got a market cap of 24 million, uh, an ARR of 18 million, with the last quarter being cash flow positive. It's fallen off a cliff. I've started to accumulate here. Ed has. Uh, my main question here is, what am I missing that the market knows to explain the current valuation? <laughs> it's a good question. And if we could answer that question, if we knew what the market was thinking, we'd be on an island somewhere, Ed. Um, <laughs> I understand you're a good-looking individual as well, Ed, but anyway, we won't go into that. Um, oh, you look, know I, um, in, in passing. In okay, passing. all right, okay. Um, yeah, so basically, I, I had a look at it. The, the key thing that could actually transform this business is they've just gone and bought... Uh, a part of my NetPhones business, NNF's uh, Business Direct. They've picked up 5,000 new business clients, or 5,000 new clients, predominantly business clients. They're going to pay $31 million for it in two tranches. They don't have to go out and raise more money, so that's always a positive. Uh, and that particular business, or part of that MNF business, actually delivered $15 million in revenue over the last 12 months. In other words, mm. you know, it's a two-year payoff period. 
So if they can execute okay on it, then it should actually be a positive for them. But as I said, you've got that execution risk, which is a concern. I guess looking at this, though, there's only 44,000 shares a day traded on this Koshi, and it's a $25 million company. So it is certainly one that I would be cautious on at the moment. I'd want to see that execution risk dealt with. Uh, I'd like to see the share chart price look a little bit better. That chart just looks dreadful. It's got sort of that double bottom going on. Uh, it's a hole at the moment. Okay. All right. Henry? Um, I think any company that uh, sees their share price decline by this much and then has to go for a transformational acquisition, I think we've found the answer to why the share price has been on the slide and the market's not missing anything at all. This is a $25 million company that's now rolled the dice to spend $31 million, which is quite a lot of money, on a buy now, pay later kind of basis because they're paying it in installments. So it's almost after paying this acquisition to some extent Mm. to make a transformational uh, trade. I don't get that one. And to buy a business which is worth more than you are worth requires a lot of skill and a lot of good management and a lot of um, luck and timing. Right. And for uh, MF uh, money, uh, what's it, my net phone, to yep. be selling this business indicates something. And I think you know the market's obviously worried about the core business for some time, which is mm-hmm. why management has actually got, had to go and buy something that, that for such a lot of money to transform what was not doing so well. Yep. So. Okay. For me, it's an avoid. Okay. All right. And just uh, quickly, because we're running out of time, um, Henry Martin wants to be on United Overseas Australia. This is a uh, um, a company headquartered in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, yeah. investing in Malaysian property, but listed here on the Australian exchange. Absolutely zero interest in this one, David. It right. trades by appointment only. It's a Malaysian real estate investment trust run by Malaysians listed here and hardly ever trades. I'm not sure why it's listed here. There must be some rationale. I would not be even tempted on my worst day to look at this one. Andrew? A billion dollar company, $7,000 a day traded. No, thank you. Okay. All right. Gentlemen, it's always been fabulous to catch up with you two. Thank you kindly, Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Good to see you, mate. And uh, Andrew Whelan from DP Wealth Advisory. Always fabulous to have you beaming in from Toowoomba. Thank you, gents. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, David. All right, let's just recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Wham Global, a yes from both Henry and Andrew. Uh, Vanguard Australia shares. Uh, a yes from Andrew, a hold from uh, from Henry. Uh, Yoji, a yes from both already in the calls, portfo- calls portfolio, so stays there. Uh, Vonix, a uh, hold from Andrew, a no from Henry, and a completely avoid on United Overseas Australia. Look, if you uh, have any stocks you want us to take a look at, put them in an email to us, the call at osbiz.com.au, or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle reminder all the uh, stocks in the calls portfolio you can find them at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and don't forget tomorrow um, we will have a full analysis of the performance of the last financial year of the portfolio Um, also uh, subscribe to the newsletter 
Um, you can do that, you get it at the end of every day, it gives you a good wrap up of what's happened uh, during the day. You get Scuddy's View, a link to the podcast and also the most popular uh, interviews we've had on the platform during the day. Subscribe at osbiz.co forward slash the COB. And Hum Group Chief Executive Rebecca James joins us at the uh, back of the office launching the uh, Buy Now Pay Later product in the UK marking the first stage of HUM's international expansion. Uh, Rebecca joins the team at 3.30 this afternoon. So a lot happening between now and the end of trade. You don't want to miss a minute. You'll get it all here on Ausbiz back after the break.